JavaScript is everywhere. On the browser, the server, and now on hardware. Finally, the Internet of Things is upon us, and it's powered by JavaScript. Even if you consider yourself a web developer and you have no interest in maker culture, keep your eye on this space, because the hardware, the Internet of Things space, the factories in Shenzhen, they're making better, more modular products, and before you know it, hardware will be as easy and cheap to put together as a web app, and the same supply chain economics that are driving down the cost of smartphones and smart cars will give the masses all the simple components they could ever need. On today's episode, Andrew Chalkley joins us to discuss how JavaScript can be used on hardware. We talk about the players in the hardware space, as well as how the big cloud players like AWS and Azure are positioning themselves to be the data lakes for the Internet of Things. Andrew Chalkley is a JavaScript programmer with a passion for hardware. Andrew, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me on. You write JavaScript for hardware, and a decade ago, this would have seemed crazy. Why are we writing JavaScript on hardware these days? Um, good, good question. Uh, generally, there's been a high barrier to entry with hardware. You've got to learn C. You know, when when you uh, learn programming, um, you tend to go on the front end approach. You learn HTML, CSS, and JavaScript becomes your first real language. And you don't need to worry about a lot of things. Whereas like with C, you need to worry about memory allocation and this, that, and the other, and all the nasty stuff. Whereas with JavaScript, you don't. So uh, I think that's where the desire to write JavaScript or with other programming languages like Python um, come in as well. So is this like a particularly good, does it turn out to be a particularly good language for hardware or is this just like a bizarre evolutionary outcome where we were writing front end code in JavaScript, might as well do it on hardware also? Um, I I think the answer is both, uh, this bizarre evolution and an awesome language. Um, yeah. So if you think about it, you know, the, you know, JavaScript, the language, has always had this um, bad rap. And it's been surrounded by, the uh, because it's been conflated with the DOM. You know, the JavaScript and the DOM and the DOM APIs and, oh, it's not implemented right in this browser and that browser. And, you know, the, you know, the late 90s, mid-2000s, that's what JavaScript got the rap for. But as a programming language, the the native objects and the native language API is 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 nice and so I, I think as a language it works you know in these multiple environments as you know with like Node.js and things like that so um, I think it's coming to a point where like you can't avoid it <laughs> and um, there's there's a lot of hardware vendors who are really um, uh, putting their resources and investing in getting JavaScript to run performantly on these devices. I was listening to an interview by someone at Konoma, which is um, a JavaScript hardware company, or it's part of the Marvell um, hardware uh, company. And he was saying that they were working on a Sony e-reader and in Japan, it was running C and over in the States, they did the operating system and all the things associated with it in JavaScript. And it ran faster in the JavaScript code than it did in uh, programmed in C. Whether if that's because um, people were uh, more used to writing in a particular way uh, in JavaScript versus C, I don't know. But anecdotally, JavaScript can run better than C on a Sony e-reader. <laughs> so there are many different flavors of JavaScript. Does the JavaScript that we write for hardware look distinctly different than JavaScript that we write on other platforms? Um, yes and no. <laughs> Again, it's, it's really uh, uh, an interesting thing. So I've been doing research into the various different hardware types and the JavaScript that runs on them. So... 
let's start off by defining what kind of devices JavaScript can run on. So there's the microcontrollers, which are small, uh, really tiny computers with limited RAM, limited uh, storage space. And you're going to get like a really old version of JavaScript running on there. Um, Well, a modified version of, say, ECMAScript 5 uh, JavaScript. And... The tooling surrounding surrounding that isn't that modern. It's not that great. Uh, I, I've tried to help with uh, contributing to some of the GitHub repositories, but uh, it's going to take some time for those type of systems to to, to work great. Um, I mentioned that, uh, Kinoma. That's coming out um, a microcontroller that can run ES6, and it's going to be about 20 bucks and have Wi-Fi built in. Uh, so it's it's evolving to be more modern on that on that front. Uh, the the next type of device is like a, an embedded Linux system. So um, basically, it's a full fledged computer. So you can in, it, it, normally they run ARM chips, but there's some Intel ones out there, um, and you can run full Node on there. So you can use all the tools that a modern software developer can use. Um, to to start writing that hardware, and yeah, so so we'll we'll get into each of those different types of how to do JavaScript on hardware, the JavaScript IoT. But I'd like to motivate the macro discussion a little bit more. We've been mm-hmm. hearing about Internet of Things for many years. You know, IoT. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have our refrigerators talking to our coffee maker, talking to our car, talking to our cell phone, talking to our watch. Why is this finally coming to fruition? I mean, obviously, we don't have that mm-hmm. glor, you know, glory days yet. But you know, we, we are obviously at the point where you know a naive software programmer like myself can mm-hmm. do things on hardware, and that seems mm-hmm. that seems almost preposterous. Why is it that we're able to do this now? Is it just the JavaScript story, or is there like a, a, another? set of stories another set of coincidences mm-hmm. like hardware decreasing costs or anything absolutely so the, there is this um a few exciting things happened late last year um so uh, an internet of things uh product is something that has uh either bluetooth or wi-fi built in uh late last year arduino released a Arduino 101, and it's got an Intel Curie chip, so it's got Bluetooth built in. Now, that's just fractionally more expensive than an, an Arduino Uno, which is um, the, the, the the starter board for many people. But now it's connected via Bluetooth. So n- to do an Internet of Thingsy thing is a lot cheaper than it was before. Normally, you had to spend like 60 bucks, 50 bucks to attach Wi-Fi or Bluetooth to the device. So that's really exciting that this is happening. And then there's the Raspberry Pi Foundation on Thanksgiving announced the Raspberry Pi Zero. Now, that's five bucks for an embedded one gigahertz uh, processor computer. I mean, it's not an Internet of Thing because there's no Ethernet jack or there's no Wi-Fi, but this can be picked up for like ten bucks for, for to plug into the USB. So it's it's getting to a point where like all these devices will have connectivity built in at, at a low cost. There's another one, um, another partnership that Arduino did. I think it's called the MK one thousand and one or something like that. It's got Wi-Fi built in, and 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 they're all coming down in price. And I think that connectivity is a must. So, like I said, just coming up this year, there's this Kinoma, um, which is 20 bucks with Wi-Fi built in with ES6. So it, it's, this year, I think we're going to see a lot of exciting things. Uh, a lot of the things ha- haven't been ironed out yet, but since I've been talking about this stuff, people are really excited. And, you know, Every single conference has an IoT like track or people talking about it. So, so okay, it's- so I, I, you know, I, I understand, I understand from that point of view, and it's super interesting that we have these little tiny computers. Um, and I'm curious when we get to the point to where my refrigerator has a hackable API, and I'm curious, like, what are the barriers? Because, like, it's it seems like the like 
putting the computer in the in the refrigerator is no longer the problem. Now it's the question of how can the refrigerator expose an API to that computer such that I can interface between that computer and the refrigeration uh, aspects of, of and the monitoring aspects that could take place in the refrigerator. And how can that API work in a way that it can't be, I guess, hacked? Like, is this a security question? <laughs> yeah, there's that, right? Uh, a lot of the uh, low-cost devices, um, say, for example, there's a there's a popular board out there called the ESP8266. It's a Wi-Fi board, and it doesn't have, like, SSL or anything like that built in, but it's got Wi-Fi and, and, and things like that, so... Uh, it's two books to pick up from China or like on eBay or something like that. And you can flash JavaScript onto it. You can flash Python onto it. You can do interesting things with this board. The security aspect, it, you know, is still a thing. Um, there's, like I said, there's another uh, chip coming out this year um, by the same people who did this ESP8266 that has the security built in. Um, in terms of APIs, I I I don't think even the hardware vendors the the NER IoT is going to be this thing like Intel knows it Atmel knows it but I don't think the know how yet uh, themselves and uh, the the tooling around it is is the issue from the endpoint uh, end user to the end user developer uh, the tooling isn't there there's not this u ubiquity of these APIs and so forth. Well, we've seen it happen in the browser world where the DOM is standardized, uh, even, you know, you know, <laughs> with all of its quirks across multiple browsers. And I, and I feel that Node.js has an opportunity to be a set of APIs rather than, oh, it's this thing that runs on the V8 engine. We're starting to see that with Chakra Core, you know, you can install Chakra Core with Node on an IoT device running Windows 10, for example. Um, but like, what if those APIs were well documented, and you know, you could pass to a certain degree of certainty, like have a test suite. So, whether if you had a simple uh, microcontroller running a JavaScript um, implementation. A, a, a low-level JavaScript implementation with those Node APIs on top, then you've got access to all these developers who do JavaScript and, uh, and Node. So it doesn't really matter whether if it's a microcontroller or an embedded Linux system. We just know that it implements the Node APIs. And that's what I would like to see as a developer. And I think what I mean, I think that's why the web is such this this amazing platform is that you know that the set and JavaScript APIs are well implemented now and that you can deploy this piece of software across many devices and many desktops. I think the need, the same needs to happen in the IoT world. Okay, so let's get into this discussion of the three main strategies for JavaScript IoT. I've, mm-hmm. I've heard you discuss these. So... Before we get into them individually, what mm-hmm. are these three different strategies for doing JavaScript Internet of Things programming? Okay, so there's microcontrollers, embedded Linux systems, and then like a hybrid of that or uh, the client host model. Okay, and, and what is the definition of a JavaScript-only microcontroller? Okay, so... On the device itself, it will just have like a, a JavaScript runtime running on it. Nothing else, really. So uh, it's very low level, but highly optimized. It can do quick input outputs to sensors and things like that. And you have the most experience with the Esperino Pico. What is it? Esper- Esperino Pico. So yeah, Esperino Pico. Tell yeah. me about that. What do you like about the Esperino Pico? P- Pico, Jesus. <laughs> I've been I've even been studying Spanish lately and I'm just totally <laughs> failing. Yeah, so the Esperino Pico um was a Kickstarter project I backed it. I got the first one in and it's really tiny and embeddable, which is great. It's um the the Esperino JavaScript runtime can be installed on other devices as well, which is interesting. But it, it, um, yeah, so I like it because it's really tiny. It can be embedded in things. But you know, 
you've got to do a lot of soldering, which, you know, coming from a software background, soldering or soldering in America uh, is is really intimidating and scary. Okay, yeah, so and- I am a software engineer also. I know nothing about soldering. Why do I have to do that? <laughs> Well, so th- this this Pico comes with little holes in it where you can uh, attach wires for sensors that talk to the chip uh, on the device. And in order to get to it, I mean, you could maybe try and use crocodile clips and not do anything like that. But then if you're trying to embed it into something, you really need something more solid like, like soldering. So soldering is a way to... Uh, make a chemical bond between a wire and the the board through these little holes in it sort of thing so um yeah i've done a few butcher jobs in the past and i'm not that great still can you give me an idea of like something that you've built with this the esperino pico pico (laughs) so yeah uh, i built a thing called wi-fi gotchi so it's like a tamagotchi connected to the internet um Right now, it's just a basic example where it, 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 it shows a face. Well, it doesn't have a face if it's not connected to the internet. Once it tries to connect to the internet, it hits an API pan on wifigotcha.com. So if any of the listeners want to change the mood of this uh, virtual pet, you can go there and click on one of three emojis uh, to, to change its expression. That is a great minimum viable product, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was thinking, oh, yeah, I could uh, give it food or like pet it. It's like, no, three emerges, click on one of them and see how it goes. Okay. And, you know, one of the the interesting things that uh, I've heard you say about Esperino, the Esperino platform, is that there's a web IDE. And, um, you know, even today, a lot of programming is not like a lot of IDE work is not on the web. Um, So the, the browser IDE is is this really appealing uh, feature? So it sounds pretty awesome. Can you tell me about the Web IDE and what are the what is it like to program for the Esperino Pico on the Web IDE? So it it's a Chrome extension. You install it and download it, so you don't need to necessarily worry about oh, I need to send this to a COM port or a other serial like what are those things you know a web developer doesn't really come into contact with that really um so you can basically push your code straight to the app uh the the device and it really only supports one file at the moment um there are hacks that i got around (laughs) um and it can it can in it's in beta right now where you can use npm packages so i i created an npm package for example which was one workaround instead of having lots of code to drive a display in a single file i i just require it so that it, it doesn't have like the package.json that um javascript developers would understand but um if you're just starting out and tinkering with it um that it, it may work well for you. I know they've got a Blockly interface as well um, in the, this Web IDE. The, the the disconnect that I see between the Web IDE and the actual device itself, it feels like you've got to be a lot more physically hands-on and do all this soldering to get uh, sensors. But the IDE is supposed to be for a learning experience. So I, it, it, feels, it feels to me there's a slight disconnect there where, like, if it was just... So, for example, the Arduino has these headers where you can just stick things into, um, and it, and that's slightly easier to prototype on. Whereas the Pico and the 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 Esprina, the full board, requires a lot of um, manual soldering and stuff like that, which I don't think is beginner friendly, as you know they're expecting it to be having this web IDE. Okay. So let's move on to talking about the next strategy of javascript internet of things programming mm-hmm. which is embedded linux devices like the tesla 2 or the raspberry pi why is this strategy appealing so yeah you can use your own modern tool framework for this so like you can use npm you can install versions of node that will run on these devices i believe node source has uh, all the binaries for the different arm chips that are in these uh, embedded systems so you, d- you you don't need to 
install anything extra that you wouldn't normally install on your system you can use your own ide like webstorm or you can use visual studio code and uh, just used to the tools that you want to use um there's a lot of um room there for improvement for interfacing with the device itself so say for example there's a lot in the maker movement there's a lot of focus on just creating projects hey i did this in my house hey i did this thing and it's like okay so you follow this tutorial and you 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 mash all this stuff together and yeah it's done and who knows how secure it is and who knows uh (laughs) if if you took that out of your house and put it into someone else's house, would it connect to the Wi-Fi there? Things like that. I think there's like a gap. And because we're talking about the Node.js level of things, I think a lot as developers in the Node.js community, we can really start contributing to this. So I've started like developing a toolkit for, for, for developers that can one. Okay. So like, um, I, 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 th- I, I don't know if you've seen this, but like on many of the, uh hacker news articles hey i created a smart mirror yeah show hn yeah 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 so a smart mirror is where you have a a a monitor screen a 1080p monitor screen behind two-sided glass and uh uh, two-sided mirror sorry and when you shine a light through a two-sided mirror it appears on the on the screen on the mirror itself so what people do is they have a black screen and just have white text pop up so that's a smart mirror yeah so 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 i i want to make one of these things but i want to use like modern tool tools like node and and all this sort of stuff but it's like it it feels to me like yeah it'd be cool to put that in my house i I manually ssh'd onto it and typed in my wi-fi and all that but that isn't really good as a product or like for usability for me as an end user, right? Like, <laughs> That's terrible. If, if I wanted to go to a meetup or a conference and say, hey, I built this smart mirror using Node.js, wait a minute while I SSH onto this thing and, <laughs> and configure the Wi-Fi, it isn't a good uh, you know, a, approach. So it, I think It's, a, it's few- a worse user experience than the it, non-smart mirror. Exactly. So, 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 so there's these tools that are missing, and I've identified like three... Um, Possibly two, maybe three. I'll, I'll see when I'm talking about <laughs> how many there are. But um, the, the like a Wi-Fi scanner, like finding the the local uh, Wi-Fi hotspots nearby. If you can get that programmatically, you can show that in a list um, to to say, "Hey, I want to connect to this this uh, thing." Then there's a Wi-Fi manager, so it manages that hotspot uh, uh, when it connects to different hotspots, and it can spawn a hotspot, for example. So, like, imagine you take your mirror to a new place, it can't find your local network that you were on before, it says, okay, I'm going to spawn a Wi-Fi hotspot. And then the third thing is a captive portal. So I don't know whether if you've been to a hotel or McDonald's or wherever, you connect to the Wi-Fi and boom, this thing appears on your screen. That's called a captive portal so that you can, um, you know, give your details, agree to the terms and services. But in Do online case, banking. Be, yeah, do online banking. Um, <laughs> yeah, at McDonald's, hey, I want a big map, but I just need to transfer some money out of my savings. Um the, So this captive portal is this thing that needs to be there for products, right? So like... This smart mirror is taken to a conference. It says, hey, uh, connect to this Wi-Fi hotspot. It it displays a list on your mobile phone of all the Wi-Fi hotspots when you've connected to it and say, oh, yeah, I want to configure that. So those, I I believe, are the three core parts that are really missing everywhere. Whenever you look at, like, hey, this is how you control this chip with Wi-Fi, it's always, like, this callback pyramid of doom, and it's, like, only specifically used for one instance. Now, my Pico project, I've started... Um, trying to figure out a pattern of how to architect that type of uh, connectivity. And I want to have this common set of like APIs that would work on these devices, you know, when connecting to Wi-Fi and like that pattern. I, th- I think the mobile web, not the mobile web, sorry, the mobile app uh, industry have got certain, you know, patterns that you, you typically don't use um, with Node.js. With Node.js on the server side, you'd say, hey, I'm always connected, you know, I'm always connected to the internet. I don't need to 
uh, set the network uh, interface up and down and, you know, all these things. You just accept that they're connected. So Node.js in this environment is this new thing and there needs to be some new APIs mm. and patterns. And maybe we can look to the, uh, the, the, the offline modes of apps, you know, on Android and iOS for inspiration. Okay. And speaking about these different types of embedded Linux devices, mm-hmm. we had Kelsey Braceman from Tesla come on the show uh, just as an example for how these devices are evolving. How did mm-hmm. how did the Tesla One compare to the newer Tesla Two, and how did, how mm-hmm. do these different um, you know or you know maybe you could draw a comparison to another uh, embedded Linux device mm-hmm. um how do these how do these different ones compare what are the different models okay so the tesla one was uh, a microcontroller that actually ran lua on it so um that's the the, the esp8266 runs lua too but what the tesla uh, crew did they um created a transpiler and transpiled many of the node api node apis into lua so it ran on the device um, so it was, it, the Tesla one was uh, analogous to the Esprina, but running Lua. Um, and then um, just recently, uh, I believe mine is being shipped to me right now. The Tesla two is an embedded Linux system. It's built on um, the same kind of chipset that's in your router. Uh, and th- those routers can run Linux. They, they all run a, a modified version of embedded Linux. And they've done that with the um, Tesla 2, so you can plug in USB devices. Because the the Tesla was great because you don't need to solder things so much. You can just plug things straight in. Um, The the, the unfortunate thing is, like, if you want a Wi-Fi card in this uh, uh, un... um, What's the word? Uh... uh, unstandardized (laughs) not standard it's not standard if you want to get a wi-fi card that's not standard for this tesla it would be like 50 bucks and the the device itself is like 60 bucks it's like why am i doing this (laughs) you know like i've spent 100 bucks on this thing whereas like with the tesla 2 you can plug a usb well i mean it's got wi-fi built in but like if you were to uh, embed bluetooth or some other like uh, USB technology like a camera or something like that. The Linux driver should handle that for you. They're relatively cheap to pick up these USB devices, but it still has this plug and play ability for sensors um, as well. So the the Tesla Two, because it's embedded Linux like the Raspberry Pi or the BeagleBone, um, it it has more opportunity to run um, full node software and have that USB connectivity. Okay. Speaking of price, we should talk about mm-hmm. the Raspberry Pi Zero, which mm-hmm. is, as you said, a $5 computer, but it is mm-hmm. not an internet-connected thing. Right. Okay, what does this mean? Like, not an internet-connected <laughs> thing. Does this mean, like, what? Like, what is the I.O. interface? Do I use Ethernet, or is it USB? Or how am I connecting to this thing if it's not internet-connected? Okay, so... Um, I managed to get a hold of these things. They're like um, they're like Goldust right now. Um, so if you were to try and buy one on, say, eBay, they'll be like thirty bucks or something like that. Uh, but I, I got a, a hold of one, and there's there's a couple of ports on the thing. So there's the power port, which is like a micro USB. There's a USB on the go, which is like a, a micro USB port, which is used for um, you know, if you're charging your uh, Android devices or, or things like that. And then there's a, a mini HDMI uh, connector, connector. So the only way you can connect to it on a network is by plugging into the USB on the go. So whether if that's through a USB hub or you can get these small adapters that fit into a regular size USB port and then it goes into the uh, micro USB port. Um, that's how you get it connected. So I, you know, 
Um, Apple took out Ethernet ports a long time ago from their devices, but they've got built-in Wi-Fi. Um, but I had one of these USB Ethernet things hanging around from that, and and I was able to SSH onto the thing uh, and 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 do stuff with it. But you know, if you hook up a keyboard uh, and a mouse and an HDMI to mini HDMI, you can actually work on the device itself. It's not connected, so you'll see this projects like embedded into like game controllers with with emulators on or um maybe the brains of a another computer uh, another robot or something like that um because it's really tiny it's like half the size of a a, a, res- a raspberry pi which is the size of a credit card so it's half the size of a credit card it's got a very low profile because it doesn't have four usb ports on it or an ethernet jack mm. so and um, i really wish that the raspberry pi foundation if you're listening to this would bring out a raspberry pi zero plus with like a broadcom wireless chip in it so like maybe 10 or 15 bucks for the whole package that would be awesome this that that would absolutely make this internet of things a real thing raspberry pi uh, 0.3 or 0.2 yeah, whatever yeah 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 so okay so the third strategy that we have not discussed yet is the hybrid solution so mm-hmm. what is a hybrid solution and why is it useful yeah so so I, i've i've called it the hybrid solution there's there's uh, another name for it the client host or host client uh, model where the you have a microcontroller that doesn't run javascript it, it you put a client on there it's it's a special firmware which is like a dumb client and then you talk over a particular protocol um to with javascript or whatever language you want so if you're a rubyist if you're uh, using java or something else like that you can use it too but um the the most commonly used one in the javascript world is johnny5 and oh and the silent js and they talk to an Arduino, which is a, a microcontroller that normally runs C, but it's got a special firmware installed on it. So your computer that's running full node or a Raspberry Pi that's running full node can talk over USB or Bluetooth to one of these devices and get that high input output um, because it's really low level. So, say for example, if you did have a robot, you may have an ad- one Arduino control in one arm and fingers, and uh, another Arduino control in one arm and the other fingers, and then the brain of it may be a Raspberry Pi or your laptop beside it or something like that. So, um, that's the the so the host is like the full fledged computer. The client is the uh, Arduino or the Arduino compatible boards that can run this firmware. I would like to get a better idea of the interfaces that we are using to speak in JavaScript between devices. So JavaScript can be used to read from a variety of sensors. Like what are some examples of these sensor types and what is the mm-hmm. interface between these sensors? Like what, how, what, what is the communication layer between the sensors and whatever JavaScript platform you're using? Yeah, so um, in terms of Johnny 5 and things like that, you can practically communicate with any sensor. So once you get the fundamentals of like communicating with one sensor, it's just like on and off, you know, it's, it's, it's the, oh, there's, there's a signal coming in, you know, from it and, and things like that. So once you've got the, the, the basics of, of sensors down, you can, you can use Johnny 5 and, and all these other things to, to to communicate with with callbacks or or what what have you um and things like that so the the firmware is called firmata i, I think that's how you say it out loud uh, uh the firmata fr- firmware and the protocol um is 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 abstracted away from you as a developer you, you don't need to really know it right so there's a there's a firmata driver in every single language under the sun Johnny Five is an, yet another abstraction on top of that. So you you just the documentation is well uh, is 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 great there, and you just follow the samples basically. So yeah, um, a lot of this stuff on the Johnny Five node side is there for you already. 
you don't need to worry about it. Whereas with the Esprino Pico, I I naively got this thing. Oh, it's been around a year or so. Uh, thinking that that there's there's a, there's an online uh, store and tutorial site called Adafruit, and they're well known in the maker industry and they provide different types of boards. So so for so, so for example, for my um, Wi-Fi Gotchi. I got an out an output which is a, a, a an LED matrix, an eight by eight screen, and I thought that this thing would have a driver already, or it'd be trivial to interface with. Now, I had to learn. I, like, I understood binary, you know, it's it's base two counting and all that, but I had to learn it in the context of JavaScript to get this thing running. But I've I've wrote a driver for this display, so no one else has to do that. Oh man! <laughs> but, wait, wait, wait. So, to clarify, <laughs> you had to like do some crazy deserialization bit, stuff. It, it was it was bit shifting and all this stuff. Like, oh my I'm, gosh! I, you know, I'm not I'm not a computer scientist. I'm a programmer, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm self taught. You know, I understand that there's ones and zeros, you know, everywhere in the computer, but it's you know. I deal with a higher level of abstraction in my day-to-day, like, coding life, you know. And, um, but, you know, it wasn't too difficult. You know, the Esprina forum, I posted a question in there. I got an answer. I posted a question to someone on Twitter, you know, from Adafruit. And this says, oh, it's wired this way because of reasons. And it's like, okay, so I'm kind of getting the uh, the, the vocabulary I need now to ask this question. Uh. I, and then once I you know, was able to ask the question and parse that information out. I was able to create this library so other people can en- enjoy it. So going back to this, the, 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 the sensors, like the, there's a standard that people use where um, they can be plugged into a breadboard. Now a breadboard is this, um, I don't know, I don't know, a couple of inches by, I don't know, five or six inches um, boards with little holes in. And basically in those holes, there's at the bottom, there's like channels where electricity or uh, signals from the sensors can go down. The reason why it's called breadboard is because back in the day in electronics, people had to like nail um, nails into a breadboard and then hook the wires around this uh, breadboard. So that name stuck and you, you know, hook up wires and you connect sensors to it. So, um, generally things that are breadboard friendly are really good for prototyping because you can just plug them into the breadboard and then plug them up to your Arduino. Um, in the case of using something like Johnny five or a raspberry Pi, um, or, or like, for example, for a, a Sprino, you'd need to solder on the, the headers, the call that you plug into the breadboard to do your prototyping. Okay. And how much do these things cost? Like if I want to get a temperature sensor, it plugs oh, into yeah. a breadboard. How much would that be? It depends how savvy you are, right? Like, <laughs> you, you could get like a big kit from, you know, um, Adafruit for they can. So, so the devices themselves can range from like a couple of uh, cents to like a, a couple of dollars. Uh, the more complex the devices, like a a breadboard enabled Wi-Fi board, maybe like twenty bucks or or maybe fifty bucks, depending on you know what time of year it is and like uh, uh, how ancient the technology is. But even still, is is still quite expensive. You can go to places like AliExpress, which is uh, Ali Alibaba's um, uh, end user uh, foray onto the web. You can go on there and you can pick up. Uh, sensor kits for relatively cheap and they're delivered free anywhere around the world if you're willing to wait a couple of weeks um so the, the, there's a wide uh, variety like say if if you wanted to buy a speaker that's a, a tiny speaker it's about 170 uh to pick up i accidentally bought 10 once so i've got to use all <laughs> these things um uh but you you may need an amp to uh increase the signal from the device itself and that costs 250 mm. so it cannot all spiral out of control pretty quickly with this stuff yeah, yeah you're not you're not just investing your time but you're going to invest your cold hard cash and um you, you're going to make mistakes i've made mistakes when i was a soldier in my first Esprina board with a wi-fi shield 
oh, a Wi-Fi shim. Um, it t- it took me forever to do, and I f- missed a particular step, and I couldn't desolder it very well. And I thought, yeah, there's oh. there's no Control Z in soldering. Y- yeah, th- 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 oh, there is, but I'm not skilled enough to do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there's a, there's this wick that you can do, but this Esprino Pico, there's really really tiny things on it, and you've got to get the right heat and pull away at the right time. And I thought this is wasting more time of me doing this than me actually, you know, going out and buying a new one and waiting for it to come back to me. Mm. I could still prototype on the board for other reasons, but I couldn't necessarily get the Wi-Fi going. And for example, um, all the debugging skills that you've got from, you know, software development. Sometimes you just say, maybe this will work and it does work in software. And it's like, oh, wow, cool. This really works. Like, say, for example, when I got my second Esprina and the Wi-Fi shield, it was the connectivity, the solder wasn't that great on one of the joints, but I couldn't get in at it. So I got a wire and just put it in a hole until the Wi-Fi connected. And it connected on this one. So I soldered that wire in. I don't know why it did it, but it worked. <laughs> you know, those debugging skills that you've had in the software world can can translate in weird ways in the real world in hardware. Mm. So interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, th- I want to talk some more about the bigger picture, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, one thing with software. So, I had a conversation recently with the organizer of the React JS Conf, uh, mm-hmm. Brent Votney, and he he mentioned this React library for dealing with mm-hmm. hardware. Um, and I'm curious if you've used this, and I'm also curious just if there's any... Uh, if it seems like there's some like really de facto, easy-to-use um, software libraries that are being built up because JavaScript, when I think about JavaScript and the internet of things, that sounds so raw at this point. It sounds mm-hmm. like such a raw way of programming. And it sounds like we're, we're not yet at the place where we have the fantastic interfaces, the fantastic software <laughs> abstractions that we need. Um, mm-hmm. So give me a picture of the software libraries that we are using to program uh, JavaScript hardware. Okay. So, this uh okay so for the microcontrollers for example um like the esprino there's a set of standard modules that um the esprino folks maintain and you can contribute that and if it's in their github repository it will be included on the device if you do the require for that particular module um like I said, that they've got a beta right now where you can, um, if you uh, do a flag in the web IDE, it will uh, install npm modules from the wild. So instead of me jumping through all these hoops and committing to the central repository on their thing, on the the Esprina thing, I thought, hey, you know, I'm a web developer this NPM is becoming this massive repository for jQuery plugins and everything else under the sun. Let's do it for this. So like I named it like Adafruit, Esprina Adafruit LED backpack or something like that. So, okay. It's for the Esprina. It's an LED. I mean, it's an Adafruit LED backpack. So that kind of thing is, is, is the naming convention that I've decided, right? Because it's obvious that it's for the Esprina, it's from Adafruit and what it is, right? So it runs uh, a driver for that. And the tooling for that, I found like publishing an NPM module myself was a lot more easier than jumping through the hoops of having it in their standard library. Um, it, there was just friction there. And if if people like me who are web developers by day uh uh, all night. Uh, <laughs> want to like engage in this community? There's so many valuable lessons they can learn from you, like um, by by just publishing software packages like that. And if if this is a significant amount, like I've got no idea how many Esprino packages there are on there. I know there's a few command line tools. Um, you know, so if you wanted to not use the web IDE, you can use your own. Um, 
but there's the, the, there's limited um, support for that. Mm. So, so, so in the microcontroller world, um, I've, it's really difficult. Um, I've got no idea with the Kino, uh, uh, Kinoma, which is has a more expensive screen based one right now. I haven't uh, played around with that, but that's coming out, you know, later on this year. This non screen based one, and I want to try that out. I'm I'm basically researching everything and seeing where they're not making sense for the embedded Linux systems. You know, it's it's all you know npm. You know, you can install Johnny Five. You know, you know, or you that or wiring uh, JS. To, which is another way for talking to the GPIO, which is means general purpose input output. The the headers that looks if you've ever had an old computer, it look it looks like an IDE cable uh, for a hard drive, it, it, but it's not. It's input output for 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 sensors and things like that. And there are people um, that have just published even their first um, NPM package just for hardware purposes, you know, and, and things like that. I know Adafruit have done a lot of work porting a lot of their uh, libraries to um, Python. Um, so they've invested in that. But, you know, when I did did my driver for the Esprina, I mimicked the um, APIs that the Adafruit Arduino library did because I thought, if you're familiar with Adafruit's uh, Arduino library, you should be familiar with it in JavaScript. It's maybe just slightly different, but you should be able to do it. Okay, so 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 zooming out even further, like I I, I, I no, it's totally fine. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk about the 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 cloud platforms that will run the Internet mm-hmm. of Things as we are spinning up the Internet of Things. Um, you know, we've got AWS and mm-hmm. Azure with their armies mm-hmm. of software engineers working on their respective platforms. And there's plenty of other companies that are trying to own the Internet of Things cloud mm-hmm. space. What's your perspective on this? You know, how is this going to evolve over time? Obviously, if you've got, you know, a bunch of sensors reading into your Internet of Things hookup that's a lot of mm-hmm. data. That's a lot of data mm-hmm. to be stored. That's a lot of money for these companies. Mm-hmm. Um, how should you invest? Uh, you know, in in these different um, in these different platforms. That's a really really good question because you know the skeptical side of me is like, oh my goodness, these centralized places want our information. Um, they they're on servers where governments and this, that, and the other can get at your data. Um, I, if, if you're paying for the service, I think uh, as, a, as a company, you know, you're at a better advantage. But why why are you as a company storing that data? Like this, this comes into like the digital bill of rights for the Internet of Things. I don't know if you've heard about that, but there's certain like things like... The person's data is their own data, for example. You know, like, if you, if you subscribe to that uh, philosophy, then, you know, if they want it deleted, they can delete it. Do you know what I mean? Um, but so there's all these different competing platforms, like you say, Amazon Web Services, there's Azure, there's Adafruit, who are now... Uh, doing their own like iot dashboard so like if you're creating projects yourself um you can do that but i believe where like microsoft and aws are coming from uh yeah like if you are this company and you're building iot things you know we want to store that data and they want to make it as easy as possible when i say easy as possible it feels like a lot of their stuff is like enterprise grade you know or like enterprise ready for people who understand you know the c-sharp and the microsoft world you know for, for me as a you know primarily open stack you know t- type of guy no no I, actually like, actually uh, I, I think i think it's actually a little a little more open um i mean i i just did a couple shows with microsoft uh on on their azure platform and uh, it is it is quite open. The APIs are quite open. 
Um, uh, it sounds like their way of viewing things is just that um, there's so much to do, and the what these companies would like to do is the trade-off that you're making is you store your data in AWS or Azure, and perhaps you will pay a higher price than if you store it on, um, let's say, like a DigitalOcean or mm-hmm. or somebody who has less rich uh, APIs, less enterprise mm-hmm. APIs. But in exchange for that, the richness of the APIs are the level that you would expect from a really robust like open source platform, you know, just the, you mm-hmm. know, that feeling where you, where you interact with a higher level API for the first time, like you interact with a Ruby on rails for the first time. And you're like, Oh, mm-hmm. it's just so easy to do this thing. Mm-hmm. That was a huge pain point. And, you know, this data ingestion of all these, all the sensor data is made legitimately easy. Not like if you fit into the, the, this, you know, box of C sharp, uh, then you can do it. It's more like, Mm-hmm. You can do it regardless. Um, and anyway, at least that's that's the interpretation I got from from Azure. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's probably true. I, I, like, you know, I've done a lot of backpedaling on Microsoft. You know, like I use Visual Studio Code. I like what they're doing with TypeScript and 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 things like that. Um, but I, I, yeah, still, I, I still don't know what everybody's end game is. Right? I, I don't, I. I, I don't understand, um, you know, do they just want hobby? Because do they want hobbyists to use these things? It feels like they do, right? They're running competitions to say, hey, use uh, Windows Core IoT <laughs> and we'll give you a free Raspberry Pi or a free Arduino or something. And like Intel themselves, you know, they've got the Intel Curie chip in, a, in, a, in an Arduino now and it's like it's slightly more like – what is their end game? Like, do they need the maker movement to do something to the bottom line? Or is it the one, the Curie trips and everything, you know, or something like that, or to use Azure for everything? Like, I don't know what their end game is. Cause like, there is a reason why they're spending marketing dollars or like just reaching out or experimenting with these things. And, um, I, I but like, like I was saying, you know, like it, uh, Intel came up to me after give, giving one of my talks on the IoT. Oh, you don't have an Intel Edison, and it's well, they're expensive. <laughs> you know, they're like, if if you give me one, I'll, I'll play around with it. You know what I mean? I've already got like two or three Raspberry Pis, uh, blah blah, and a blah blah and blah blah, and they're all cheaper than an Edison, right? So, um, what what I don't think Intel or maybe Atmel to some degree uh, understand these are the chip manufacturers, right? They don't understand that Arduino. For the last eight years, have made the most awesome SDK for them for C, you know, for their devices. They should be, if they want this explosion of IoT devices to happen, instead of spending 20 bucks for like a, a very low powered, high throughput IO uh, uh, microcontroller, they should be subsidizing that. If they want like people to learn about it, use it, and not be worried about like damaging things. Mm. And 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 it, that will you know allow these inventors and all these new ideas to come in and these platforms to evolve quicker. Mm. You know, like I don't know if Johnny Five works with a Arduino One Hundred One. I've got one in my basement, but I'm going to have to look at it. But like that's time and research and goodness of my own heart. You know that that I would I would need to do that. You know, right? And um there's a financial element to this now it's not just software anymore yeah well as far as the end game i imagine that uh you know these companies have some idea of what their end game might look like but probably they want to keep things at least a little loose because we i feel like the industry still doesn't really know (laughs) when the internet of things will stop being a like i feel like we've been being told about the internet of things that it's just two years away for 10 years. So, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, well, if it, it feels like the cloud was like that for a long time, like, Hey, cloud, cloud, cloud. Oh yeah. Now, yeah. Yeah. Now it's kind of like stabilized, you know, there's like, Oh, there's Amazon. Do, web do you ever read blah, about blah, blah. these, like the cloud businesses or maybe you're around that? I don't know how long you've been in the industry, but like in the nineties, like there were 
cloud-ish businesses uh, that just mm. didn't work. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and But that's the thing. Like, I feel uh, – because um, like, I've been tinkering with electronics since 2013. And it feels to me that the um, – maker movement is like the computer you know industry like when there was apple twos the home, you know, the homebrew like, club yeah the homebrew club and, yeah. and all that jazz and I, I feel like goodness like the arduino's been around eight years or mm-hmm. um you know the raspberry pi has been around for quite some time now as well and it they're just like the the, the gradual evolution of these devices so um there was the first Raspberry Pi, which had 256 meg of RAM, that soon changed to 512, you know, and then this evolved the board to be this standard, you know, um, square layout with mountain hulls. And then the, the, the use the same, um, you know, design, but up the power. So there's a standardization that's happening and, and, and it's evolved over time. And it feels like, you know, with a Raspberry Pi, everything's up in the air for, for you to choose what you want to run on it. You can run PHP, Java, you know, anything that you want. <clears throat> so, whereas, like, whereas, like, the Arduino has evolved as a software platform and has matured with their tooling. And for us as JavaScript developers, w- we need to mature our tools in the context. I mean, we've got mature tools now, and I think we're getting there past the fatigue. Uh, in the JavaScript world, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, and we just need to have those mature ideas start to evolve in in the embedded Linux systems. Okay. So I want to close off with a question about uh, your work. You work at Treehouse, which is the online education company. We had Ryan Carson, the CEO of Treehouse, on the show, and that was a really fascinating interview. Ryan's a Really, really great guy to talk to. Does Treehouse have plans or a curriculum in place already to do some Internet of Things education? No. Um, I, I think the there's a number of reasons. Uh, I think we're all betting that the software that we teach, JavaScript, Ruby, Java, and so forth will be available on these things devices, right? Uh, hardware is becoming software, and we teach people how to develop software. What if there's a paradigm shift? Like today, we just have MVC, we have Flux. These are our web mm-hmm. paradigms. But what if there is a specific JavaScript architectural pattern mm-hmm. you have to learn in order to program the software on these hardware devices? Well, well, you said it yourself. There's this guy using React, you know, to, to control uh, boards. And if that's the case, well, we'll, we'll be developing more React content anyway, you know. And, I mean, I mean, that's the whole thing with React Native, right? It's like you learn React, so you do these components, blah, you know, you're done. And and it's, it's similar with that. Or like, say, for example, Reactive Extensions. That's an awesome... Uh, uh, a set of tools that you can use for streaming events, you know, in the DOM, in the server side. And guess what? Input outputs on elect- electrical devices. So, I, you know, the, the the lessons that we're learning at the front end and on the server side are applicable to hardware. I don't think that anything's going to arise out of hardware that we haven't thought of yet. I think it'll be uh, migrating those paradigms onto those devices just like that, that example I, I told you. So like if I encourage anyone like who understands software to any degree to start building those libraries and publishing them on NPM and tweet me and let me know what you've just done, because that's an awesome thing, you know, that, that you've done. And you don't need to be an electronic engineer. I'm not an electronic engineer. I'm not a, a computer scientist. I d- have no degree and I've done all these things and, uh, as well so you can do it too okay well that's a great place to close off andrew shockley thank you for coming on to software engineering daily fascinating interview uh great to talk to you about iot and i will see you at the fluent conference which we did not even mention in this show but (laughs) but your talk will obviously be about javascript and the internet of things and Mm -hmm. i look forward to to seeing you there i'll have a t-shirt for you oh thank you very much see you then